So with that being said, Lamentations chapter 3 is where we are this morning. You know, when it, when it, when it comes to Lamentations, it, it is poetry, and in some ways it is a collection of songs. Not, it, 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 poems are songs, and when, you, and when you think about music in general, there are songs that are sung by one person and represent that one person's story, but then there are songs that are sung by one person but represent the story and the testimony of many people. It brings to mind April the 4th, 1968. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from the balcony of his room at the Lorraine Motel was, was, was talking with a musician by the name of Ben Branch. And he asked this musician, Ben Branch, to play a song for him later on that evening at the mass rally that was to be held. And Branch had just arrived in town from Chicago. He was given the assignment of serving as the musician for the evening at this mass rally that Dr. King was scheduled to speak at. And in 2018, the Dallas News published an article where the conversation between Dr. King and Mr. Branch was, was recaptured to, to the best of Branch's recollection. It went something like this. Branch said, Dr. King began with these words, man, look, tonight I want you to play Precious Lord tonight like you've never played it before. To which Branch responded, Dr. King, I do that all the time. To which King said, no, 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 but tonight, especially for me, I want you to play it pretty tonight. Brant said at that moment, King stopped and said a word to someone else before turning back to him one last time. Man, I tell you, tonight I want that song. I mean, I want you to play it pretty tonight. Play it pretty. To which Branch said he nodded vigorously and said, I'm going to do that, Dr. King. Satisfied, King smiled and leaned forward slightly. Don't forget, I mean, precious Lord, play it tonight. Dr. King would never hear that song played that night, nor would he ever hear that song played again. Because immediately after his request, he was assassinated on that same balcony. King's favorite singer, Mahalia Jackson, would later sing King's favorite song, Precious Lord, only it was not at the rally that evening. It was at his funeral. You see, it was a song that was sung by one voice, Mahalia Jackson, one beautiful, amazing, historic voice, but it was a song that represented the travail and the lament of many. If you've never heard the song, hear the words. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on and let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on, through the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. This simple but impactful song was written by a pastor in 1932, after the tragic death of his wife and infant child. It has become one of the most beloved songs in the African-American community and African-American churches all around the world and funerals in particular. They, they play this song continuously. It is the lament of one man, but it is the lament that millions have sung along with that one man because it resonates so deeply with them. You see, lament has a way of doing that. The cry of 
one representing the many. We see this as well in Lamentations chapter 3. On the surface of chapter 3, it appears to be the song of one man, one man's lament. His perspective on the devastation that has taken place in Jerusalem and his handling of his own handling of the suffering happening in Jerusalem. But family, this is a song that is sung by one man, but it is a song that is sung by one man for the many. This is the lament of one that the many sing in harmony alongside him. Now, as we said before, each chapter of Lamentations, except for the last chapter, is written in the form of an acrostic poem. The first letter in each verse coincides with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. This chapter is the longest of all three chapters, and it is written in acrostic form, but slightly different from all the others. The verses are grouped in chapter three as triplets, with each triplet having three verses that each start with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, the first three letters or the first three verses start with the first letter, and then the next three verses start with the second letter and so forth, and so on. But it is also not just the longest chapter, it is the most personal chapter. Again, it appears to represent the cries of one man, but his cries are representative of the people's cries. And lastly, one small detail about this chapter, but very important detail about this chapter, is that it is a roller coaster as we are about to see, with all sorts of peaks and valleys and highs and lows and dips and turns, moving from one emotional, spiritual state to the next. And it's those turns that I want to focus in on this morning. Three turns in particular. The first turn is the turn towards hopelessness. We see this first turn play out in verses 1 through 18. Again, just like last week, we see God actively involved in the judgment that has come upon Israel in verses 1 through 18. And there are certain themes that are running through verses 1 through 18. For example, in verse 2, we hear these words. He, had, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. There's a theme of darkness that runs through this text. Again, you hear this theme in verse 6. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Dark, darkness, and despair. But we also see themes of isolation and abandonment. Verse 7 through 9, it says, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. You see, this experience has left the poet and his people feeling trapped by God himself and abandoned. He even expresses this sense of abandonment in the form of unanswered prayers. He says, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Not only themes of darkness and themes of isolation and abandonment, but themes of opposition. In verse 10 through 12, we hear these words. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. 
He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. God at this moment doesn't feel like a friend to the poet. He feels like the worst of of opponents, like a ferocious animal lying in wait to eat me alive is how he feels. Like a skilled hunter with his scope barreling down on him in anticipation of the kill shot. The poet is saying in this moment that it feels like God is coming for me. Have you ever been so brutally beaten down by the trials of life that you've been left with some of this? Maybe it was heaping debt that just seemed to box you in from every side. Maybe it was loss of a loved one or grief or sickness that left you in a really, really, really dark place. Or maybe it was a set of circumstances, one after another after another, that left you feeling like God was literally bearing down on you. How many of you have ever, how many of you have ever felt like this? Maybe you've experienced this not just as an individual, but maybe, maybe you've experienced this as a corporate body, maybe as a family where it doesn't seem like you can catch a break, or as a church where one person after another is battling illness after illness after illness. The most obvious corporate experience that we can point to at this very moment is the impact that coronavirus has had on us all. How it has impacted our livelihood and impacted our sense of connection and our sense of belonging, how it has impacted our wallets and our purses. So whether individually or collectively, we can all relate, even if in only small ways, to Jeremiah's sense of opposition and isolation and abandonment and deep darkness and despair. And where does all of this typically leave us? Well, it leaves us in the state that he highlights in verses 17 through 18. Listen, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah summarizes his frustrations here in verse 17. He says, I have no peace in my soul any longer. It's it's been so long since I've had a happy moment that I don't even know what it feels like anymore. All my hope is gone. And in so many words, verse 18 is declaring, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. How many times has suffering How many times has trials and how many times has pain and discomfort and isolation or besetting sins, deep and dark depression left you in this condition, left you in a place where it felt like peace was no longer attainable, left you in a place where it felt like happiness was no longer reachable, left you in a place where you were simply sick and tired of being sick and tired. This is where we find ourselves here in Lamentations 
two and a half chapters in to a five-chapter poetic saga. And we are empty of hope at this point, void of peace and absent of happiness. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then it is right here that we see the next turn, the second turn, the turn towards hope. With everything falling apart around them, with a city left in ruins, with a people bound and defeated, humiliated in every single way imaginable, with a very tired man who is empty of peace and empty of happiness and empty of endurance, a new and different cry breaks forth in verse 21. A new cry that turns on one word, but. How many awakenings have turned on the word, but? I was at my end, but. I was lost, but. One of the greatest gospel songs of the age says that I've had some good days, and I've had some heels to climb. I've had some weary days and some sleepless nights, but when I look around, but when I look around and I start to think things over, This is exactly what happens to Jeremiah in the middle of the darkness, the isolation and the abandonment and the feelings of opposition. He stops, he looks around, and he starts to think things over, and he says, verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faith. Jeremiah says, I remembered something in the midst of this devastation. I remembered something in the midst of this destruction. I remembered something even in the midst of the mountains of debt. I remembered something even in the midst of the pain in my body. I remembered something even in the midst of the doubts that cloud my thinking towards God. I remember that God's steadfast love never ceases. I remember that his mercies never come to an end. I remember that every single morning I rise to new mercies. I remember that the Lord is totally and completely faithful. Family of God, if any of you are in a moment of despair, may these words encourage you. The Lord loves you. The Lord's mercies are are never ending and never ceasing, and the Lord's faithfulness is great. Don't lose sight of when these words, however, are spoken in verse 22 and 23. You see, the poet isn't shouting these words on piles of cash or or precious metal. You can't picture these words being shouted from his master bedroom of his 10-bedroom house with his five luxury cars in his eight-car garage. But this is what we often do, right? We often take passages like these and we frame them in moments of plenty and in moments of tranquility and in moments of abundance and moments of peace I mean, in fact, if you just do a quick Google search on this verse, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 23, if you just do a quick Google search on the images, what you will find are pictures where this verse is plastered or laid on top of pictures that are peaceful. 
tranquil, calm, pictures full of plenty, pictures full of bounty. And listen, I'm not hating on any of these pictures. I I like a calm picture myself, but they do give us a glimpse into our natural inclinations. You see, we naturally struggle to believe there's anything praiseworthy in the storm. But these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Saints, these aren't words being shouted from someone sitting on piles of cash. These are words that are being cried out from someone sitting on piles of ash and rubble and laying in puddles of their own tears. Saints, don't picture these words as being shouted from the master bedroom of a 10-bedroom house. Picture these words coming from someone with tears in their eyes as they offer the last bit of cash in their wallet to cover many of the many, cover one of the many bills that they have left to pay. In, in the grief of loss, in the pain of suffering, Jeremiah is reminded of this eternal truth. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what we need to be reminded of in our times of darkness, our times of isolation, abandonment, our times where it feels like God is opposing us. You say, how in the world is this even possible? Where is the hope fixed? Where does my praise come from? Where does his praise come from? And the poet gives the answer in the very next verse. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Listen to this. Jeremiah recovers his hope in this moment because it rests not in whether God will fix the current situation. It rests simply in God alone. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. In other words, in the deepest recess of my being, this truth is echoing out. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Sometimes we have to come to a place where God is all we have in order to truly realize that God is all we really need. Pastor Arthur Tim Keller once said that in the darkness, we have a choice that is not really there in better times. We can choose to serve God just because he is God. If we do that, we are finally learning to love God for himself and not for his benefits. Jeremiah, in the midst of the darkness, is given an epiphany, not about himself. There is no hope in us, but about the God who he worships. And what is that epiphany? That epiphany is this, that all hope is found in him. He remembers that he is loving. He remembers that he is merciful. He remembers that he is faithful. Have you remembered that about God in your times of darkness? 
As this virus threatens our livelihood, have you remembered that God is faithful with pain striking what feels like every fiber in your body? Have you remembered that God is merciful with layoffs and and unemployment sitting on the doorsteps of many of our homes? Have you remembered that God's steadfast love has no end? It is this spirit-empowered remembrance that brings the strength required to endure. Look at verse 25. It says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. What happened? What happened here? One moment, we hear the poet saying, I have nothing left. My endurance is gone. My hope is gone. My peace is gone. What happened? You can hear the cries. If you read, you can hear the cries of the people almost collectively singing in chorus. We have nothing left. And now we Here it is good to wait. Now we hear it is good to bear well with the suffering. Now we hear it is good not to give up. Now we hear that there may yet be hope. What has changed in this situation? Nothing externally. They're still in the same conditions that they were in a few verses ago. But the posture has changed. What's changed is that he has remembered the character of the God that he worships. We see this recollection deeper in verse 31. He says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. What do we see? What changes Jeremiah remembers this God is endlessly merciful. This God is unceasingly loving. This God is faithful. He will not cast me off forever. Of course he will not. God, instead of leaving us high and dry, lost with no peace, no hope, no chance for happiness, he intervenes. God doesn't leave us high and dry. God literally comes down in the person of Jesus Christ. The very Son of God came as the perfect embodiment of God's steadfast love, unceasing mercy, and great faithfulness. When we are lost in the darkness, we, we, it, when we were seen as his enemies, Christ came and died for you and for me. If there is ever a question in your soul as to whether or not God cares for you, don't look at your wallet to answer that question. And don't look at your suffering to answer that question. Look at the Son. Look at the Son as he was hung for you. And may it be a reminder to you that no matter what it looks like on this earth, the Lord's steadfast love will never cease. His mercies will never end. His faithfulness is great. As the poet comes to his senses in his song, 
and turns from weeping in darkness to hoping in light, a final turn is made in verse 40. That last turn is a turn away from sin. You hear in verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. With the reality of God's holy judgment and the reality of God's merciful, steadfast, loving, faithful character, playing through his head and playing through his words, the poet turns his attention towards the rightful response of the people collectively in verse 40. In verse 1 through 17, the poet highlights the plundering of the city, the sudden poverty and captivity that has hit their people, the leveling of their once beautiful landscape and buildings that has made God look like their worst enemy. And yet, even through it all, we find in verse 21 that he is reminded of the truth concerning God's love, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, that they are endless. So what is the proper response in light of these two terms? proper response is to turn again, but this time to turn away from sin and back to God. When it feels like he has stopped listening, Jeremiah's response here is to test and examine our ways and turn our hearts and our cries back to the Lord. When it feels like God has turned his face and pulled his hand back from us, Jeremiah is saying that the proper response is to turn to him all the more and to stretch out more for his hand. Verse 40 again, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And when we turn back, what should we say? Jeremiah gives us the words. A very clear first, a very clear and honest confession from the people back to God. Verse 42, we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouth against us. Panic and, pitif and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction, a clear and honest confession. We are down. We have been whipped. We have rebelled. And because we have rebelled, you have lacked, you have lacked no pity or, or you have taken no pity. You've allowed judgment to come and, and, to, and to run through our city. You see, in lament, there is no time for excuse-making. There is no time for scapegoating. There is only time for acceptance. We have sinned against you, God. And yet that sin, or rather, yes, that sin that has caused and created alienation between us and you. But not only is it a turn back to God, and not only is it a turn with a clear and honest confession, but it is a turn with deep Brokenness. Verse 48, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. Repentance, deep, 
enduring, lasting repentance often comes from deep brokenness. Jeremiah says, listen, God, I'm going to plead with you until you hear me. I'm going to plead with you, God, until you look down from heaven and see me and take notice. This is what a bona fide turning back to God looks like. It is birthed out of humbling and humiliation in some cases. It is awakened when we discover the nature of who God really is, the, 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 the nature of his faithfulness and mercy and his mercy and his love. And it is shaped with an honest confession and with deep brokenness. And it is here, it is here that God responds to us with Christ. You see, Jesus is the answer to our pleading with tears. When we cry out to God, he doesn't just give us a new city. He gives us a savior. And in that savior, every single promise will be fulfilled. The promise for an eternal hope, the promise for an eternal happiness and joy, the promise for an eternal of, of an eternal peace, the promise of a new city, a new Jerusalem, all of it will be fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, the Lord has answered our call. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, and I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on through the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. In Christ, the Lord has answered that call. So this morning, if you have not trusted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I invite you to turn your heart and turn your affections to the God who not only listens to your cry, but has responded with his very own son. I invite you to confess him as Lord and Savior and turn from the commitment to live life your way and embrace him as the only way and live life his way. Repent, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, making him Lord and Savior of your life. And this morning, if you have trusted Jesus as Lord and as Savior, but in this season of life, it feels as though he has forgotten about you. Let me remind you that the Lord's steadfast love is endless, that his mercies never cease, that his faithfulness is great, and that there is no place on earth where we see this clearer than in the one who came down from heaven, hung for you, bled for you, in order that you might be given eternal life. So take courage. Saints, he has not left us in the darkness. Take courage. Even in the hardships, you can take confidence that God is bringing us out to the light because he is loving, because he is merciful, because God is faithful. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. Seal this word on the inside of our hearts. 
If there be any that do not know you, would you turn their hearts and affections towards you this morning? Father, if there be those that know you but are worn, tired, weak, would you give them strength through your spirit? And would you bring back to their remembrance your steadfast love, your unceasing mercy, and your great faithfulness? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect embodiment of all of those attributes. These things we ask and we pray in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.